Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Hello, dear Amelia listeners. I have some exciting news. The Amelia Project is returning on the 21st of September 2020. Season 3 will be divided into two parts. The first part will run September to December. And we're still raising funds to make the second part. If you'd like to help us with that, you can become a patron and make a small donation per episode. If you become a patron before September, you will be able to listen to the Season 3 prologue before everybody else. And you can join us for a digital Season 3 launch party on Zoom on Sunday the 20th of September. If you'd like to do that, go to patreon.com slash Amelia Podcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Amelia Podcast. Season 3 will pick up exactly where Season 2 left off. So, if you want to get ready for the launch, this would be an excellent time to re-binge Season 2. What you're about to hear is a behind-the-scenes discussion Einstein and I had for Pod UK Cast last year before Season 2 was released. So this is a little throwback of sorts, but hopefully it will give you a little insight into the making of the show and get you back in the Amelia mood. Right, hope you enjoy this chat, and uh, we can't wait to be back with brand new content very soon. UK Pod UK cast. I'm Jess. And I'm Chris. And today we've got the creators of the fantastic Amelia Project joining us. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. It's an honour to be with you. Thank you so much. Oh, no worries. Thank you for joining us. We can't wait to talk all things Amelia Project with you. Um, <laughs> if you guys just want to introduce yourselves for our listeners. Yep, sure. So I'm Philip. Most people call me Pip. Uh, and I'm co-creator and co-writer of the Amelia Project. And my name is Oysten, and I am the other co-creator of The Amelia Project. Now, I just want to jump right in and ask you guys, The Amelia Project, where does Amelia come from? Gosh, I think you've just started with a question that we can't answer. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um, uh, or, or let's put it another way. Why do you think it's called The Amelia Project? Do you... I immediately think of um, Amelia Earhart when I hear the word. Amelia. Very good, very good. Yes, I think that's probably what uh, what most people think, or, or at least in in the US, that's that's what everyone sort of immediately thinks of. But I, I think we can't really go into much more detail than that, can we, Einstein? I don't think we should. No. Yeah, uh, for, for reasons <laughs> that will become obvious as we progress in the series. <laughs> 
Wow, I started on a on a strong one there. <laughs> All right, let's jump back a little bit, Len. Let's um, let's go from. We'll try and be more more forthcoming with uh, <laughs> with other answers. It, it would be quite fitting, wouldn't it, if every question was just like, nope, classified, can't answer that. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's all, it all about the secrets. So uh... exactly, exactly. Um, let's try one that you maybe can answer. Tell us about the inception of the Amelia Project. How did this all come about? That I can definitely tell you about. So um, it all started when uh, some cocoa lobbyists thought to themselves, uh, how can we increase the international popularity of hot chocolate? Um, so <laughs> they, they put out a call offering a ton of money. Um, and uh, we came up with this idea of a podcast that was on the surface about an agency that makes people disappear and then lets them reappear with a new identity. Uh, but in actual fact is a cocoa commercial. Um, so they paid us uh, very <laughs> handsomely. That's how Oyston and I both uh, could afford our swimming, swimming pools which we fill with cocoa, obviously. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, and so that's what, what led to, to the podcast. So you guys must smell of chocolate all the time if you're just swimming in these cocoa swimming pools, right? <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> my, my wife's not too happy about it, but I like it. Einstein, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to give the serious answer? Um, I think this was such a genius answer that I, I don't really, but I, I will. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the truth is, Pip and I have been working together for many years, uh, creating theatre, and uh, for 11 years now, actually, which is quite a while. And then uh, because we've ended up moving to different cities or, or, and living, I live in Oslo, Pip lives in Paris, it was really hard to keep making theatre together, where, which kind of necessitates that you're in the same space for a long period of time in the same country um so we we were looking for another format to work in where we could work via skype and via internet and more uh, independently but at the same time keep working together and continue our collaboration and then uh podcasting came up it was it was pip's idea uh, that this is actually a way where if we move more into writing, that's something we can easily do via the internet. Uh, and that's sort of what, what sparked um, the idea of, of creating something for that medium. Um, and then the idea of the Amelia project in, in particular, again, was an idea that Pip had been carrying around for a long time. So that's maybe, I don't know if you want to talk more about that, Pip, the, the idea of a, a company that makes people disappear. Yeah, so I had just that idea, basically, a, a company that specialises in faking people's deaths. Uh, that's something I've been sort of thinking about for a long time. Uh, but I didn't know in what medium or like in what form to tell the story. So originally, I was thinking uh, to turn this into a play because my, my background is theatre. So that was sort of just naturally the first thing um, I sort of uh, thought of, but I could never kind of quite mm. figure out the right angle for it. Um, and uh, then I was thinking maybe it's more of a, a film or possibly a short film to start with. I wasn't really familiar with audio fiction, or at least not with this kind, I, you know, I knew sort of classic British radio drama, but not the kind of um, this sort of revival of audio drama and podcast form that that's sort of more driven from the US, I guess. Uh, and that only came when I stumbled across Welcome to Night Vale, which I absolutely loved. And I, I immediately sent Einstein a text saying, you know, listen to this show, um, you know, maybe we should do something like this one day. And then, as Einstein said, we, we then found ourselves in the situation of a couple of years later that we both lived in different countries and were looking for a project to collaborate on. And so then we, we came back to this thought of, hey, why not 
let's do a podcast. Uh, and then we kind of combined that idea that I'd sort of been mulling over for a long time about this agency and doing it as a podcast. And those two things just immediately seemed to gel because by telling it in as a kind of as an episodic story with a new case every week, that immediately kind of made sense of like what to do with that concept um, of, of, of this agency. Uh, yeah. I hope that was that was a bit of a long-winded answer, but um, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's the origin story of the Amelia Project. No Coco swimming pools then. <laughs> no, not yet. We're aiming for that. I, I do love that idea, though. That is such a good idea. Well, you know, Cleopatra, Cleopatra took baths in in milk, so you know this is just an upgrade, isn't it? Although the real question is. Um, what would you rather, uh, a bath of cocoa or a bath of Verve Clicquot? Oh, Verve Clicquot, for sure. That's, that feels like it would really cleanse my pores. Oh God, I, f- <laughs> I feel really uncultured. I don't know what that second one is. Oh, it's champagne. It's, it's yeah. It's champagne. It's those bubbles are clean you. <laughs> uh... Yeah, it's basically just think of it as like bubble bath. Yeah, it's, it's just a different kind of bubble bath. Yeah. It's yeah. it's using bubblies, but bubbly to, uh, to 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 bathe. Yeah, and Verve Clicquot is um, it, it's a very fine French champagne, which is the interviewer's. So our, our main protagonist, the interviewer, uh, it's his favourite type of champagne, uh, which he always offers. I was going to say, I can definitely see the interviewer having a nice bath in some champagne. I can <laughs> well, I, I hope that after this. Um, goes out somebody out there creates some fan art of the interviewer taking a bath in champagne whilst <laughs> blowing bubbles yes that would be great <laughs> I, i'm interested to know how as you're in two different countries how does the the recording of a media project go down like are, do you try and be in are you involved in that or are you mainly just do the, the writing and pass it on to to recording people to like to do their thing at studios and stuff or is it split between the two countries or what um i said well, start with that yeah i mean it's split really between many countries of course alan and julia who who plays uh, the interviewer and elvina uh, they're in vienna so uh, a lot of the recording takes place there and actually uh, we try to go there when we can when we can afford it when we've got the time but actually alan does uh, direct uh, a lot of those studio sessions that are in Vienna. He knows the the show, you know, backwards and forwards now. Uh, so so he uh, he actually does that for us. But we do try to uh, to travel when we can. We have also recorded in London. Uh, a lot of season two is recorded in London. Uh, we've recorded in Oslo. There are some of the actors who live here. So then obviously I go to the studio with them. Um, so it is sort of split between us um, because the we need kind of the the interaction between the the interviewer and the uh, the client alan kind of needs to be wh- wherever the actual interview dialogue is is uh, taking place we do try to fly alan to wherever the other actors are or fly actors to where alan is to make that happen which obviously is a bit costly but uh, but but really makes for great uh, interaction yeah it makes it more realistic i guess yeah, they can really feed off each other. I mean, actors love being in the same room when they, when, and to play off each other and ideas and, and improvisations, little things kind of happen. And I mean, I, with, with Alan and Julia, for example, who now know their characters so well, uh, we send them a script and they go in the studio and record it. And it always comes back with something that Pip and I hadn't thought of. There's always a line in there that just crack us up when we listen back to the recordings. And, <laughs> and that just comes from the how they feed off each other and how comfortable they are, you know, and which, which is something you don't get get 
to the same extent with, with if people are doing it, you know, by themselves. Um, so that interaction is really important uh, to us. Yeah, all the best lines yeah. in the Amelia project are things that they've improvised and then Oistan and I take the credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. It's your writer's um, writer. <laughs> how about, so these are some great characters that you've got down in the Amelia project. The interviewer is one of the most charismatic characters I've ever heard in an audio drama. Oh, thank you. Um, um, how did you go about creating these characters? Oh, um, yeah, so... Um, I think, that, one, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, I, it, I always find it really difficult to sort of really articulate where character ideas come from. I mean, I think the interviewer in a way, although he's very much sort of, yeah, very kind of much his own character, he is a sort of amalgamation of, of lots of, lots of archetypes in a way um so i mean there's there's a lot of sherlock holmes in there um mm-hmm. in that he's a character who hates boredom you know he 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 sort of uh he he operates on two le- or he needs these cases in order to keep his mind active and his mind alive and um so he's either in kind of full on case mode or he's um depressed uh that's kind of very much a kind of <laughs> sh- sh- sherlock trait i think einstein do you have any others you might as well just tell them the truth we went to grand character central and <laughs> uh, we put out a call on the tano system and uh, and he appeared magically yes. out of thin air <laughs> brilliant you pulled a lever <laughs> and that was popped. <laughs> what about all the characters in the different stories do they have any particular inspirations or I think we're look we're looking for things and we're looking for characters wherever we go. I think Amelia is just kind of in our uh, DNA in a way now that whenever you're reading the newspaper or a book or a, just out on the street watching people, an idea for like, oh, this person probably needs to disappear will just kind of hit you and um, <laughs> and and so we kind of we gather. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got this massive document of just ideas for people who may want to disappear for whatever reason and then we try to pick the best to actually to make into episodes yeah and in a way i mean you know because the framework of the amelia project kind of just allows for so many different ideas and characters and stories uh in a way it's been a project where we've kind of used loads of the kind of just little ideas that we've kind of been making notes of for the for many years so in the same way as the Amelia project itself is an idea I'd been carrying around with uh, with me for a long time until I finally figured ah this is the way to make it as a podcast uh, a lot of the characters are actually things that uh, sort of just little ideas we've been discussing for a long time so for example episode uh, I think it's episode seven the Luke Dougal the one which pl- takes place mm. in a hell uh, in a hell theme park so yes. this is something that uh, an idea of Einstein's actually and I remember him telling me about his idea for a hell theme park back in college uh, so that was like I don't know 10, 10 years ago or something um, but the idea is much older <laughs> than that uh, I came up with that idea. I started toying with the idea of what a hell theme park would look like when I was 12. So it's a, <laughs> it's a very old idea that I've been carrying around and kind of, yeah. Yeah, we were walking back from the pub one night and, and Einstein was like, 
telling me all about this hell theme park and all the rides that would be in it and so on. And then, uh, yeah, then 10 years later, um, I, I sat down and wrote an episode about it. And, and actually, often it's one of us has kind of the idea uh, an, an idea and the other person writes the episode so in this case um the this this idea of a hell park was was Einstein's idea and then I kind of took it over to write an episode and it happened the other way around with Siri so um I became mm. massively obsessed with artificial intelligence um a few years ago and I was just reading everything I could on uh, on AI and I started just bombarding Einstein with links and articles, uh, kind of going, you know, read this, this will blow your mind. And uh, we have to do a project on, about this one day. And we were actually thinking of maybe we'll still do it one day. We, we came up with this outline for a, a play about artificial intelligence. And so then Einstein took took that th- those ideas from from that play, which we'd sort of started brainstorming uh, and turned that into the into the Siri episode. It sounds like Amelia Project is almost like a culmination of ideas that you guys have had for so long. It almost sounds like it's like, I don't want to say magnum opus, but it almost sounds like that. You know? <laughs> I think that's kind of maybe what it's becoming. It's, uh, but it is funny how to, when you find that really the great sort of serialized concept, how you can just pour ideas into it. That it's just a sort of vessel that you could just like, oh, I can put that idea in there. I can put that idea in there and, and kind of, yeah. It, it allows you to to be creative over and over again and mm. uh, and to have an outlet for it. Uh, as with theatre, you know, when you have a great idea, then you have to go through the funding process and then you have to produce that play. And it's just this massive, you know, massive undertaking. But with the, with the, an episode of a podcast is relatively much smaller and, and we can fit so many more of our ideas into it. So I think, uh, yeah, it's, that is a great fun thing about uh, creating The Amelia Project. There is one idea that I need to um, come around to, which is the main character, of course, the Coco. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> Where Coco. did that come from? <laughs> um, well, like it's not like um, a super like conscious choice, but I, I've been thinking about this recently, and I think subconsciously it's to do with Twin Peaks. Oh, so right. because Einstein and I are both uh, complete Twin Peaks obsessives. Um, and of course, Twin Peaks has got a signature drink, which is uh, black coffee. And so I think when I first wrote in the cocoa, it was kind of because like Twin Peaks, um, I wanted to have like a signature drink. Um, <laughs> and so and and coffee tends to be like a big feature in a lot of like detective fiction and things like sort of mm-hmm. black, strong black coffee. Yeah. And I thought, you know, what you know, something that goes in completely the opposite direction, uh, kind of quite an unusual drink, really. And then kind of cocoa, <laughs> which, um, uh, yeah. And it sort of goes hand in hand with his sort of blowing bubbles and stuff as well. It's sort of almost like it's like... Life of luxury. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, he enjoys... He he definitely enjoys the finer things in life. He's he's a big francophile. There is something very childlike about Coco, uh, wanting wanting the, the kind of the candy and the sweet stuff, and and that's something that I really like about this character as well. It's just how he allows himself to be a child if he wants to. I think the Coco kind of epitomizes that. It kind of gives you this nice warm feeling, Coco. You even hearing the word, it's kind of associated with like relaxation and warmth and comfort. And Coco is actually full of, you know, it, it does actually calm you down. It does actually trigger your, your happy place. Uh, you know, it, it's with the theobromine and all the sugar and all of the different things that are in Coco. 
it yeah it it you know it's uh it's an addictive little thing mm. and and often when the clients first come in they're really anxious and they're really nervous and so he he needs to calm them down so that they can tell their story um so so there's that but then also the it, it's kind of quite a nice contrast to have like such a sweet comforting childlike drink contrasted with a story which is kind of about about grisly deaths <laughs> it's a fun <laughs> juxtaposition yeah i'm interested in the you have a um a sort of recording schedule that has all like before every episode you have like a a prelude a short a short episode if you will mm. um, i was wondering where the idea to ca- came to do that as opposed to just sort of having that at the beginning of the episode or something as an ah, intro yeah so that is a really like a happy accident actually and actually just the the creation of alvina who features in these preludes is a really happy accident because uh, now she's one of my favorite characters and i think she's for, for a lot of people she's a favorite character and she she and this whole concept of the preludes was something that wasn't initially planned we'd actually written the whole of the first season recorded even almost all of the whole uh, whole of the first season without these preludes uh, and then we wanted to have a trailer to put out actually not so much just for having a trailer but more just for technical reasons because we'd never uploaded anything before and um we wanted to just see you know we we just wanted to have something to upload to sort of try it out before we actually uploaded our first episode but at the same time you know we wanted it to be something valuable that we uploaded not just yeah so so we thought okay we need a trailer but i couldn't really think of a way of doing a good trailer of the amelia project through clips uh and anyway i you know i think it's quite difficult to do an audio drama trailer through clips i i haven't heard that many really really successful examples of that uh so i thought uh let's let's try and do something that's actually original content that that kind of serves the purpose of a kind of trailer that that kind of teases you with what's going to uh happen and kind of gives you a little taste of uh of of the world but which is actually original content that's not in the episode So uh yeah so I wrote this little mini sode called Coco which which features the interviewer and his colleague Alvina we gave him this kind of female colleague who's one of the few people who's kind of at eye level with the interviewer who's kind of not threatened by him or threatened is maybe not the right word but who who can kind of hold her own who's faced by him. yeah exactly she can she can hold her own with him in a conversation and that was a really fun thing to write and so then after that I said and I thought hang on how about we just do this for every episode that every episode has got a, a little prelude so so that's what we did and then that way we also developed this character who's now become a very important character of Alvina who only features in the preludes for season 1 but then in season 2 who will become a, a one of the main players in the actual episodes as well ah now interestingly that brings us to our first twitter question oh mhm Um so we had a question from Twitter user Rosendia who asks do you plan on revealing more about the backstory of the interviewer and Alvina the small hints and tidbits so far have really piqued my curiosity How to answer that to question answer, Well I think what we can say is that you will be you will be learning a lot more about the backgrounds of certain characters in season 2 as well as learning a little bit more about the functioning of the Amelia project as an organization so there is a bit more kind of background info on both the company and characters in season 2 and certainly in terms of the whole series there will be many more reveals about them 
There's certainly a kind of build up at the end of season one, isn't there, towards something? Yes, it's uh, which is very very <laughs> intriguing for me personally. of episodes, yeah. <laughs> it does make me wonder, um, and if you can't answer this, I, I absolutely understand. But is season two going to keep the same format of a interviewee of the week, or are we going to see more plot driven episodes or something else entirely? Ooh, I think we can answer that question, Pip. Uh, honestly, I don't think that's a, a giveaway. To- yeah, okay, 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 answer it. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that is that uh, the structure of Client of a Week is very important to us, and we are going to keep that structure. Whatever happens around that is another question. Yes, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. We, we really like, <laughs> <laughs> we really like the interview format. Um, And we like it because it gives us rules. You know, we've set ourselves very kind of strict rules in a way of like we tell each episode as an interview uh, and it conforms to a unity of space and a unity of time. You know, so so it has kind of very clear parameters. And we like that because that means that we can then not break those rules, but kind of tease those rules or kind of stretch those rules um and and that's something we've kind of always enjoyed doing um is is kind of having fun with format playing around with format so it's a very simple interview format but what happens when you put an ai into that format or what happens when you put a a time traveler into a format that is um you know that has unity of time and then suddenly you can start you know cutting around in time or what happens when you put a character in there who's aware of the artificial format he's in. So, um, uh, yeah, so, so we like giving ourselves, we like this interview format because it gives us rules we can subvert. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now we've um we've mentioned the words season two a few times now. Yes. Is uh is that recording still in progress? Is it finished now? The recording itself is finished, pretty much. No, that's not too true. I've got one more recording date in Oslo that's next weekend. Oh but yes. That is that should wrap up uh the recording of season two. And then we should see a season two in twenty nineteen, maybe? We are definitely hoping to get it out this year. That is our aim, yeah. But we we haven't set a date yet. So we're doing because uh, basically we want to get everything finished before we before we release the first episode. Because for season one we were sort of producing and releasing at the same time, which got mm-hmm. a little bit stressful. Um, so for two, <laughs> that's to say the least. There were like, how many how many episodes was it when when it was supposed to come out the next day, and it was like. 
like 11.30 at night and we were on uh, on Skype in, in different countries and we were like, but we've got this problem with the episode. Are we going to postpone? What, how are we going to re-record? What are we going to do? How are we going to solve it? There were there was, there was too many of those and we're not doing that again. Well, we're not putting ourselves Yeah, I remember again. particularly with the episode, I think it's episode four now, Nathaniel McBride. I remember yes. on that one, we were literally up until the minute we pressed like submit on yeah. Libsyn. Uh, we were still debating on whether that needed changing or not. Oh, wow. um, so, so yeah. So, so this time we want to get everything done and then start releasing, which which has kind of put us into a curious position now because in a way the main part of Einstein and my job is kind of done. So we've recorded yeah sort of 98% of the season and I've actually already edited all of it as well um, but now the ball is kind of in Freddie's court. Freddie is our sound designer who still needs to do the whole design and, and make music and that sort of thing so uh, which obviously is still a big job and so that'll still take a few months but um, so for, for Einstein uh, and myself there are still some bits and bobs but we're, we, we've actually now started writing season three. Mm. Um, oh wow. So <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so we're sort of uh, well I'd say about five episodes or something into season three in terms of writing yeah that um, sounds about right so yeah so so we're sort of um, it's quite it's quite funny we're, we're sort of we're talking now about season one we're in the middle of post-production for season two and we're in the middle of writing season three <laughs> <laughs> do you have any idea how long Amelia Project is going to go on for do you think uh, about 83 years cool, cool. <laughs> What I mean by that question is, do you have like an overarching story that you know all the beats of and you have kind of an idea of how long you want that to take? Or is it kind of making itself up as it goes along, so to speak? A bit I think we'd have both. to break that. Yeah, we'd have to break that question down into its individual parts. Do we have an overarching story that we kind of know where it's heading? Yes, definitely. Do mm-hmm. we know exactly all the beats on the way to getting there? No, we don't. Um, we know some of them, but not all of them. Uh, there are a lot of gaps to fill in. And do we know how long that's going to take? Absolutely no idea. Maybe 83 <laughs> years. So what we're hearing is Amelia Project fans can be expecting a lot more content. They oh, absolutely yes, can, yes. I mean, that's good. That's what you want. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that uh, sort of the whole audio drama podcast thing sort of came to your light with uh, Welcome to Night Vale. I was wondering if there was any other uh, podcasts that sort of inspired you even like writing like season two and season three, like what have you been listening to that sort of inspired the way that you do things oh, now? There are many that we kind of fall in love with. I mean, and there's a lot of the comedy ones. Uh, Victoriosity is a massive inspiration. Mm-hmm. I love Alba Salix. Um, I, I love Wooden Overcoats. Uh, in, other, in, in other genres, Girl in Space, I think is fantastic. Love and Luck, the Australian one, I think just, I, I love the simplicity uh, of that format and, and the stories that they tell. There, there are so many. Munch in Minnesota is a oh, little Munch one. That's not is, it's, great. It's, not, it should, it, it's one that's um, unfortunately like not very well known. It should be much better known than it is, but it's such a great show. And in fact, that's a show that we discovered. Um, so when we went to Austin Film Festival, so the Amelia Project was a, a finalist um, at Austin Film Festival two years ago. And a lot of the... Wow. Um, and so a lot of uh, the kind of uh, audio drama creators we met there are people who've become very influential 
in our lives. Um, and so that's where we met um, Justin Glanville, the creator behind Munch in Minnesota. That's where we met Zach and Skip from Limetown. So Limetown actually has been very inspirational as well. Um, Limetown is wonderful. How we, yeah. Yeah. And, and they just gave us a lot of advice as well. I, I think what they told us kind of really informed how we launched the Amelia Project. Ashley uh, and uh, Deck the Halls with Matrimony. It's another comedy, it's a, a rare example of a romantic comedy that uh, that I kind of go back to again and again. I've got to say, I haven't heard of these ones. You all you found them all through the Austin Film Festival. Yeah, so these are all ones where where the creators were also invited to 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 Austin. Is that how you guys got to Austin? Because I was going to ask, how did the Amelia Project end up at the Austin Film Festival? That's really impressive. So the Austin Film Festival um, has now got a fiction podcast track, which so it started two years ago. That that was the first time that they did this. Um, so they, uh, alongside screenplays and TV drama uh, and theatre plays, they now also uh, have a whole competition dedicated to fiction podcasts. Yeah, so we submitted the script for the first two episodes of The Amelia Project, uh, and um, we were one of uh, four finalists, which meant that we actually got to go to to Austin and attend a, a writer's conference for a week, uh, and we got to do a reading of the show uh, in front of a live audience. So we had a really wonderful time. Uh, and in fact, I went back again last year with a new show that I'm making, which is but which is still very much in the sort of writing stage. Uh, there are no production plans for that yet. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great do check check out uh, the Austin Film Festival's fiction podcast track because it's it's really, really exciting. Uh, and they really I think they're kind of yeah, they're they're they're, they're real kind of pioneers in, in that space. They really uh, organize a fantastic conference um, and it's really really inspiring and exciting yeah it's interesting we have kind of similar things over here like we've certainly got the podcast festival and the uk the british podcast awards and not to our own horn but we've also started our own convention and things but it sounds like the way the austin film festival is doing it is quite different to how anything over here is being done I mean, it's a film festival that's been around for many years so if, uh, when they started a, a fiction uh, podcast track it kind of slots into the same sort of format that the film festival and conferences had writers conferences had for many years so they're building on a concept that, mm. that works really well there but it's because it's this different context because it's inside of a much bigger festival which is about writers in all mediums that really creates a, a different kind of energy and, and makes it a very different kind of meeting place which which is very exciting I mean, but it's crazy because and also, obviously, um, as the podcasters at that festival, you kind of feel like this kind of weird, like the kind of weird punk track of the festival, um, because <laughs> because everyone else is kind of like, you know, they're, they're filmmakers or TV writers. Um, and then you speak to a lot of them and they go like, what? So uh, a podcast <laughs> or, you know, they, they, they don't really. Um, yeah, they, they, they don't they don't really sort of instantly know where to place you when you say that you're a writer of podcasts. I was going to ask, like, how was the podcasting section of the Austin Film Festival received? Because we have certainly come across this in that podcasting is still a, in its infancy almost, it's been around for so long, but it's it's really starting to come into its own nowadays. So how was it received? Was it a popular... Did it have a good turnout at Austin? Yeah, so, I mean, it's actually really popular and a lot of the panels um, 
on especially on on podcasting were actually packed with filmmakers and uh, TV writers because uh, you know a lot of these people have been like working on scripts for years and years and years which never see the light of day which you know get uh, maybe you know get get optioned and then go into development and then you know that it it just it takes so long for a TV idea to become reality um, you can be working for for decades um, and not actually see your work on screen um mm-hmm. and um you know in podcasting you can go from idea to having a a finished show that goes out to to thousands and thousands of people you know within within the space of a year you know and Einstein and I were kind of talking about you know how many ideas we've sort of built up over the in in our many discussions over the course mm. of, of of the years and I think that's the the same is true for for all writers. Um, so so these panels were kind of packed with people who who obviously have all of these ideas, but who are working in a medium where, at very best, they can maybe turn one of these ideas into reality if they're very very lucky, and it'll take a few decades. <laughs> um, so I think that uh, the festival is creating a new generation of um, audio dramatists who can get some of their ideas out there by making them as audio dramas instead of making them as as TV shows or feature films. So that was a very long uh, answer to your question. about. So I think it is, yeah, it, it's very popular at Austin Film Festival. Uh, and I think it's getting a lot of um, writers interested in this genre. Which is fantastic to hear. I mean, one of the things that we've certainly noticed via doing Pod UK is that the audio drama scene in the UK is booming at the moment. Mm. And there are so many creators who, I I think one of the things that we heard a lot mentioned is that a lot of these creators heard about or were interested in BBC radio plays and things at first, and then realised that they could do their own and so kind of went down that path. And I think more and more creators are going down it, which is great. We're seeing so many creative minds getting together and making their own podcasts. Absolutely. Yeah. It is a really exciting time in uh, in fiction podcasting. Yeah. And I I think, yeah, like you said, uh, podcasts sort of open up the door for people who are struggling to get their their creative um, project out and bought and stuff like that, and it gives them a way of like of giving that to the to to their audience, like without having to go through all the red tape that TV and stuff has to go through. Uh, there's a couple of podcasts that I listen to. Uh, one called uh, the Dead Pilot Society, which is basically a bunch of TV writers like. But they'll like perform their uh, their TV pilots that never made it through the mm. system, um, and out of that, a couple of um, a couple of people have have realised that you know what my show w- could work as a podcast, and they've actually gone and created it as a podcast, and it's, they're now like creating like weekly episodes and stuff like that, and it's just because the 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 whole medium of podcast allows them to do that. And I think it's amazing as well that how the uh, the podcast medium uh, it's such a kind of it's a great democratic uh, tool. It it allows people uh, of there's such a diversity. Uh, there's a diversity of form and, and formal invention, but there's also a diversity of characters, a diversity of stories that that is very kind of contemporary. That really mm. kind of hits the nail on where we are at in 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 terms of inclusiveness, which the mainstream media struggles to keep up with, and um, and and that is something that really inspires me as well. Um, and I'm listening to to uh, to the different uh, audio dramas out there. Absolutely, I think. The podcasting space is definitely a safe space for the LGBT community. Yes. And for yeah. other minority communities, it's such a fantastic thing to see. Mm. 
as somebody who consumes a lot of story, which, I mean, a lot of people do nowadays, finding stories that tell you something new or something that, that is about an experience that you haven't already heard described or, or played out a thousand times is actually quite rare. And the podcast medium is wonderful in that sense, and the audio drama medium is wonderful in that sense that new experiences, new story is actually kind of uh, coming out of it uh, because of that diversity. And that is something, again, as an audience member that, that I get incredibly excited by. You're kind of finally seeing yourself represented, whereas maybe you wouldn't have been in TV, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's about seeing yourself represented, absolutely. But it's also about discovering new characters that you've never seen on TV, that you've never seen on film, um, which I think is wonderful. Speaking of all these people who listen to your podcasts, how mm. have your fans been? Tell us a bit about that. Oh, I mean, it's it's been, for me, one of the most surprising things about this whole journey has been the intensity of reaction to it. Because um, I sort of thought mm. when we were starting this that uh, sort of coming from a theatre background, I thought I really want to do something like this partly because theatre is so ephemeral. So, you know, you make something, you work really hard on it for like a, a, one or two months and then it's gone. Um, and, um, you know, doing something mm. like this, you're, you're creating something which, uh, you know, will be around for, for, for a much longer time. But I thought the downside of it is that in theatre, obviously, you have immediate reaction. And I thought with this, you know, we're going to make something, we're going to put it out there, but we actually have no idea who's consuming it um, you know, who's actually listening to it apart from like getting reactions from our friends. In, uh, apart from that, in terms of like the wider mm -hmm. world, you just kind of put something out there and you don't really know how it's received. And one of the lovely things with theatre is obviously that you do get that instant reaction and instant feedback. Um, and gosh, I was wrong. Um, uh, you know, I, um, uh, I, I actually think we've had better and more valuable and more uh, passionate and more yeah, articulate engagement on this than with anything else we've done. Um, uh, and it's completely blown me over just in terms of, I mean, especially from Twitter. Uh, I wasn't even on Twitter before the Amelia Project. Um, yeah, just, I mean, you know, we, we haven't really released anything or, you know, season one uh, finished uh, last summer and still pretty much every day we get some kind of nice message from somebody who you know, who's been enjoying the series. Uh, we get fan art, we get uh, reviews. And I'm just completely blown away by what a what an active and passionate community of fans there is out there. Uh, it's absolutely wonderful. And just getting fan art, like that's never happened to me in my life before. And even, even just having anything I could actually call a fan, <laughs> having a fan base, having many fans, that again doesn't really happen in theatre. Like famous actors get it. Companies that have been around for a long time and, and really built. I mean, we've been around for a while, but we're quite a small company. But through through this, uh, yeah, me, the, the having fans... I think is just magnificent and, and the love that they pour into the project spurs us on. They just makes us want to do this and keep going for 83 and a half years even. I'm glad to hear it. It does seem like you've got such an incredible fan base, such a passionate fan base. I'm glad to hear that is the case. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, our fans are amazing. And, and we really discovered that, that we are doing this for them. Speaking of your fans, I'll finish off with this one final question from Stewtown2583, which is... 
does Philip have any connection to a secret agency? Is that why oh, you're yes. getting all these No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, oh, sorry, I, maybe we should have started with this. But um, no, obviously, I mean, the, the, the way that we fund the Amelia Project is that as a sideline, we offer um, actual disappearances. I, I mean, that, that is actually our business model for course, the podcast. So the podcast brings people to our disappearing business. Because of my first answer to the to the uh, about the cocoa business, you're probably going to think I'm being facetious, but this is absolutely true. Um, so if you go to our website, um, if you go to our website and you you click on um, merchandise or web shop, I think it is, and if you scroll to the bottom, you'll see that um, you can add a disappearance to your cart. Uh, you can fill out a purchase form to organise an interview. Uh, they're not cheap. I think they're currently going at about 50,000 50, euros. Then we will fake a suitably spectacular death for you uh, and you will surface with a completely new identity. Uh, and that's basically how we fund the Amelia Project. And that's also going back to how do we get our ideas for clients. Um, uh, so, um, well, we probably shouldn't really admit this, but um, it is. Many an idea has come from our actual real life clients. Um, I mean, I you know, who cares about client confidentiality when you've got a podcast to make, huh? <laughs> which, which one was your? I I think for me, my favourite one was uh, doing the the the, the case, uh, the Zale Indigo Ra Ravenheart one. Uh, what? Which one was your favourite, Einstein? Your favourite real life case? I. I think I think actually the 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 real life AI that that we had in our office, but it it didn't turn it didn't go exactly as it did in the podcast. She started threatening to destroy the world already when she was there during the interview, so I had to run and get this big mallet and, and smash her head in. Um, I think that was my favorite moment. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So um, to anybody listening to this, do head over to our website ameliapodcast.com, dot com, um, and under merchandise you will see that we do actually offer. Uh, genuine disappearances um, <laughs> and maybe if we if we sell a few more of those then uh, maybe at some point we can afford those chocolate cocoa swimming pools <laughs> bought it back bought it back <laughs> um, which does lead us nicely on to so where can our listeners find you on social media yes so our website is ameliapodcast.com uh, which is where you can find all of our uh, fan art and uh, lots of info on the show. You can find us on Twitter, where we're at Amelia underscore podcast. Um, and uh, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Pip Thorne. That's P-I-P-T-H-O-R-N-E. And uh, my Twitter handle is at Oystein Brager, uh, O-Y-S-T-E-I-N-B-R-A-G-E-R. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram. Again, just uh, search for Amelia Podcast and we should come up. Um, and on good old fashioned Facebook. And uh, uh, as well. Oh, yes. And of course, if you uh, if you want to listen to our show, if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, we are on most uh, places where you can listen to podcasts apart from SoundCloud. We're not on SoundCloud. Uh, and it's the Amelia Project. And it's the one with a logo of a phoenix rising out of a cup of cocoa, because there is also something else called the Amelia Project, which is not us. But we're the one with the black and orange logo of a phoenix rising out of a cup of cocoa. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> phoenix from a cup. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, guys. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having us. I've been Jess at Owlmew. I've been Chris at uh, Painted Twit, and you've been listening to the um, Pod UK podcast. And this podcast hasn't been happening. <laughs> Hang up now. Goodbye.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. It's a tale of learning and healing. We've got a whole province going to see one overworked witch in a candy cottage that's been chewed to pieces by the local kids. Of fairies and magic. You're touching the sapphire of assessment. I'm not touching it. I'm just putting my hand near it as I focus my brainial waveforms on it. Stop it! I'm not even touching it. Of struggle against the odds. This is my team. They may not live up to your vision of a perfect, efficient department. They don't live up to my vision of a stampede in a barnyard. Ooh, kingly. That's how you know it's working. <laughs> and now, it returns at last. Alba Salix, Royal Physician, Season 2. Alba Salix, Royal Physician, from Fable and Folly. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts or look us up at fableandfolly.com.